series called Holy Awe, and I'm going to preach on this subject matter, just this one Sunday, and then next Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about unholy places. Say that with me, unholy places. Why would I pick such a, a title for Palm Sunday? Well, Palm Sunday is traditionally when Jesus entered Jerusalem as a triumphal king. He entered in Jerusalem. You know where he went? After the thunderous shouts of soldiers, he went to the temple, which had become an unholy place, and he cleaned it up. When we invite Jesus to triumphantly entry, entry into our lives, to triumphantly enter our lives, guess what? He takes those unholy places and by his presence makes them holy. And each one of us has some unholy places that we need to invite Jesus in. He wants to enter into those places and make them holy. Amen. Today we're going to look at Malachi chapter 3, also 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to talk about why tithe. And I want you to stay with me. I don't want you to check out. Uh, there are many sermons I preach. I'm just going to preach on tithing one Sunday. Say one, one Sunday. One Sunday. And then we'll get back to something else next week. But oftentimes when you talk about money, people check out. I can talk about marriage and the family. I can talk about salvation. I can talk about justification by faith. I can talk about reaching your neighbor and people are calm. But when you talk about money, people tense up. I often wonder why people tense up. Uh, but God's word says a lot about money. So let's read Malachi chapter 3. Then we're going to top it off with 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And then we're going to preach for about 20 minutes, and then I'm going to let you go to Cheesecake Factory. Amen. It is a good day here at Bridge Church. Malachi chapter 3, we'll begin at verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Say whole. Notice God got real specific with his people. They've been breaking covenant. They broke covenant with God. God said in chapter 1, he said, if I'm your father, where's my honor? And then they broke covenant with each other. In relationships, They broke covenant in their marriage relationship. The priests broke covenant with the people in the nation of Israel. And God saw that they were covenant-breaking people. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What is the storehouse? The storehouse is where you're spiritually being fed on a weekly basis. That is usually the local church. Oftentimes, uh, people want to split their tithe, but God says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You don't go to Chick-fil-A and eat and pay at McDonald's. Amen. You would probably get a knock on your door. And, uh, and so God says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Look here. Test me in this. It's the only part in the Bible where God says test me. Says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Now, the floodgates of heaven. What are the floodgates of heaven? Somebody just come get this card. Nick, I want you to invite everybody out of signature to church with that one card. It's anointed. He said, see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. You might say, what are the floodgates? It's not, some translations say window. If you've got, you got a translation that says window, that's okay. It's not a magical window that opens up over you when you tithe and gold falls down like gold does. That's not what God is saying. The windows of heaven or the floodgates of heaven are the people that God's assigned to your life to bless you. How do I know that? Well, you go over to Luke chapter 6. It says, Give and it will be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, running over will men give into your lap. In other words, the floodgates, the windows of heaven are the people that God sends your way to bless your life. In fact, you get to choose what kind of window you will be. Will you be, will, will you be a window of heaven that releases the atmosphere, the blessings of heaven? Or you will, will you be a window of hell? Amen. See, every time God wants to bless your life, he'll send a person into your life. Every time Satan wants to curse your life, he'll send a person isn't that good preaching? That's good. So connections are important. My mentor once said, big doors swing on small hinges. The small hinges are the relational connections that you make in the kingdom of God. 
God uses people to bless our lives. He said, see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. There will not be room enough to store it. There will not be room enough to rent a mini, mini storage unit. See, in God's economy, in His kingdom, when He begins to bless you, He doesn't expect you to go buy many storage units. He actually means for you to be a distributor of His wealth to people. He said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, to make you a blessing. He did not tell Abraham, I'm going to bless you so you can just store it in your garage and have to go rent units to store it in. It's amazing what people rent and, and they store stuff in, many, in storage units. And it's costing them more to store it than the actual stuff costs. Amen. Why not just give it away? Why not just let it go and quit hoarding? We don't need you to be on a television program. There will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops. He's talking about in an agricultural setting. He says, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and, vi and your vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Go over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was written by Paul, and he says this in chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. And now, brothers and sisters, he's calling the Christians there at Corinth in that church, brothers and sisters. Why does he call them that? They've been adopted into the family of God through Jesus. We want you to know about the grace. Say grace. He's referring to the grace as the ability to give. He says, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Who were the Macedonian churches? There were Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. They were in northern Greece at the time. He says, I want you to know about these churches. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They were in extreme poverty. They were in a trial of their lives. They were in poverty because the Romans came in and stole their wealth. So this is what Paul is trying to do. He's receiving an offering for Christians in Jerusalem who are poor. And so he begins to spur generosity out of the church at Corinth by talking about how much people who were poor were giving I want you to understand the Macedonian churches were impoverished. The church at Corinth was very rich. It was a port city. It was a metropolitan area. They imported and exported. There was wealthy businessmen. There were temples there. There were shrines there. There was, there was commerce and business was going on. And he's trying to tell these rich people in Corinth, look here at the poor Christians in Macedonia. Look how they're giving. Look how they're doing this. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their, their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Talking about the people in Jerusalem. And they exceeded our expectation. They gave themselves first to the Lord. How many of you know before you can give your finances, you first have to put your life in the offering plate? Well, that'll preach right there. I need to get me a big, giant offering plate put out here. Just stomp on it and preach. Come on, have, have Chris behind me hitting the Hammond B3. Amen. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, who was Paul's spiritual son, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also the completion of this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in complete earnestness and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel here. See to it. You've excelled in faith and all the other spiritual things that you think are spiritual. Here's another spiritual thing. See to it, see to it that you excel in this grace of giving. Think about that. He says... See to that. Those poor Christians in northern Greece, they're excelling. They're giving beyond their ability. How do you give beyond your ability? Grace. Grace. 
So we're going to look at tithing today. Why tithe? Did you know tithing demonstrates active faith in God? James, the half-brother of Jesus, in the book of James, said this, Faith without works, without corresponding works, is what? Dead. I prove my faith in God by what I do. But what I do will never save me. I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by grace through faith, lest anyone should boast. It's not by works. It's by grace through faith. But if I am saved, the proof of my salvation is this, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the kindness, the gentleness, the meekness, the goodness, the self-control, the generosity that flows out of my life. He says, see to it that you excel in the grace of giving. Most of us in here today, there are areas of our lives that we want to excel. We want to excel in our marriage. We want to excel in the military. We want to excel in our business. We want to excel in education. We want to excel in the medical field, in the business field. If I'm a lawyer, I want to excel. Come on. I think that's a part of our makeup. God wants us to excel. But Paul said to the Corinth church, he says, see to it that you excel in the grace of giving. The grace of giving. You say, Pastor, why do you preach on money? Here's the reason. Simple. Because Jesus did. Did you know Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell combined? That there are twice as many verses on money and possessions as there is faith and prayer. There are 2,350 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possessions. Why would God put all of this stuff about money and possessions in the Bible? I believe he put it there because he understood that most of us would make money an idol. Most of us would buy a house and worship it. Most of us would rather wash our new car on Sunday than come to church. Most of us would push and cut the grass on Sunday and idolize how beautiful our yard is than to make Jesus first in our lives. Most of us would build barns and put in those barns all sorts of articles that are wealth that we built up and we would look at them and we would begin to worship them in place of God. And so Jesus talks about money. Man, this is a hard-hitting sermon, isn't it? Because we all deal with idolatry. But I can tell you right now, if you're going to follow Christ, he's going to come after your idols. You will have no other gods besides me. That is a Ten Commandments. That's in God's top ten list. And God comes after idols. And one of the idols that we often have to deal with is our possessions, our Air Jordans. Come on. Our Apple iPhone and watch, all our possessions, the wealth that we have, the cars that we drive. Is God against material things? No, but he is against materialism. It's not that you have a house, but does the house have you? It's not that you have money, but does the money have you? You And so Jesus begins to deal with this in the new covenant. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That word devoted there means single-minded minded fidelity to something. You're either going to be Single-minded toward Christ or single-minded toward Monday money. He says you cannot serve both God and money. Passion Translation says it this way. You can't worship the true God while at the same time being enslaved to the God of money. Choose your God. On your dollar bill, on your $5 bill, it says in God we 
trust. It's just a reminder that our money is not our master. We master our money. Dave Ramsey has come up with Financial Peace University and he teaches that and we have instructors that teach that here at Bridge Church in our small groups and he talks about money having a priority and how we prioritize our money is very important. He gives five things as priorities when it comes to money. Number one, he says you need to be generous. You need to tithe. You need to give to God. You need to give to your local church. Number two, he says you need to pay your expenses. Go to the mailbox. <laughs> Open the email. He says, pay your expenses. Number three, set aside an emergency fund of $1,000 so when something breaks down, you don't have to put it on credit to have it repaired. And then he says this, you need to actually retire the debt that you've accumulated. How many of you know debt is strangling people today? Revolving debt, credit card debt, car payments. It's not the big car, car payments that bring you to poverty. It's the smalls. It's not the house payment. It's, it's all the other, you know, direct TV, sling TV, all the little things that are sucking the $15 to $20 here and there. Every year I go in and I clean up all those little things. And sometimes my kids sneak it in. I said, hold up, what is that? I ain't paying for that no more. No, no, no. That becomes a sucker of my finances. Amen. Sometimes, you know, if, if you're a farmer, if you, anybody grow tomato plants in here, you like tomato plants, you go in and you break off the suckers. Why? Because the suckers are pulling all the nutrients from the tomatoes. Sometimes you have to pull the suckers out of the way. And your finances, so your finances can be healthy. It says retire debt. And number five, invest. Say invest. You've got to invest. Don't depend on the government to watch after you when you're 65, 70, 75. Invest your money. Put it somewhere where it can grow. Get out of debt. Don't be like our nation that's $32 trillion plus dollars in debt. I'm not sure that's not on purpose. I'm preaching just as hard as I'm preaching. And if you're a Republican, you say, those Democrats, if you're a Democrat, if you're a Republican, how many know it's both of them? It's both of them. It could be that they're allowing that to happen so it will collapse, so we go into a one-world currency that leads to a one-world government. I'm just saying what I'm saying. I'm just saying it could be on purpose, but you shouldn't run your household like that. And if you did, you would probably be in prison, but there's nobody that can put our government in prison. Poor financial management. Come on, if you ran a company, if you were a CEO of a company and you ran that company like the federal government, you wouldn't have a job. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> I can't say that. I'm just saying, retire debt, honor God, get out of debt, be blessed. Use money wisely. Why? Because you and I will stand before God one day and we'll have to give an account. God's going to reconcile accounts in eternity. We'll have to give an account for how we handle the finances, the homes, the children, the cars, everything that God's placed in our possession. There's one thing you've got to understand. You are not an owner. You are a manager. The Word of God teaches us that God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God owns everything and he places me as a manager over a certain amount of everything he owns. Now, if I want to increase what I'm managing, I don't do that by prayer. I do that for managing well. Some of us pray for finances. You don't pray for finances. You manage for finances. Oh, yeah, I just messed some of your religious thinking up. Didn't I? Some of y'all begging God, Lord, I need 10000 more dollars, just 10000 more. Well, you didn't manage the last $1,000 that I gave you when I opened the window of heaven, and that window of heaven was your neighbor, and you mismanaged that. Why are you praying for more? Learn to manage, and as you learn to manage, I will increase you. Come on, one of the most 
important parables that Jesus ever told in the New Testament was Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. To one he gave five, to one he think he gave, what was it, two or three, and the one he gave one. The one who had one, he buried his talent in the ground when the master came back. And because he didn't multiply and manage it well, guess what the master said to him? He said, you wicked servant. Why? Because he didn't manage what he put in his possession. We teach people to pray for increase. No, you manage for increase. I mean, if I couldn't manage 50 people, God would have never let this thing get to thousands. Come on, if you can't if you can't wash one car, if you can't take care of the townhome, if you can't take care of your own life, why would God bring that honey to you? It's all about management. I mean, you know, God has given us keys to the kingdom. The, the key for increase is management, not prayer. And it's good to pray. It's good to pray for wisdom. But prayer is not the key to increase. It's the ability to release what's in your possession as a seed. And manage what you have well. If God's going to increase my business, I have to manage my business well. Whatever business you're in, God wants us to live with those principles in mind. So when we talk about tithing, I want you to understand that, that tithing is not law, not teaching law. Tithing, I believe in principle because tithing and why tithe, it's a principle. It's a biblical principle. Why tithe? Because it's a biblical principle. All the way to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. God creates this garden. In, in chapter 2, he puts the man in the garden. He says, I want you to work it. What does he mean? He wants, he wants Adam to manage it. Did Adam manage it well? Probably for a while. Until he got a wife. He could manage the garden, but he couldn't manage his relationships. So his wife was deceived. Look what God did. He says, I'm going to give you every vegetable, every tree in this garden. You can eat from anything. But don't you touch the tree that is in the middle of the garden. That's my tree. When you touch it, you will surely die. What was God doing? Was God obsessed with the tree? No. He used that tree as the principle of the tithe in Adam and Eve's life. The tithe is God's sovereign authority in your life. But what happened? They ate from the tree. Guess what? They died. Their connection with God was severed. It actually, the word die there, it actually means the cessation of communication. How many of you know the first thing the enemy attacks in your relationship with God is your prayer life because that becomes the cessation of communication with God. That's the first thing he attacked. He, he, he severed their relationship with God. Not only did they die spiritually, they would die physically eventually. But that tree represented the time. And, and Adam and Eve didn't pass the test. That's why all of us have to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin. Why? Because we're born into sin because somebody didn't pass the test. It's a principle. And then you move over to Genesis. In Genesis, Abram came to Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. It's the first time we actually see the word tithe used. In Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, it says this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem would be modern day Jerusalem. Melchizedek was a typology of Jesus Christ. In fact, over in Hebrews chapter 7, it says that Melchizedek was without beginning or ending. He was an eternal being. He was a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. What is bread and wine symbolic of? The new covenant. The body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. 
He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram. Look here. He blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to the Most High God who delivered your enemies into your hand. I want you to understand this. Melchizedek represents Jesus, and Jesus blessed Abram. Did he bless Abram after he tithed or before he tithed? Say before. How many of you have been taught that, hey, if you tithe, God's going to bless you? Did you know in Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 1, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm just because we're in Christ? Abram didn't tithe because he wanted to be blessed. Abram tithed to Melchizedek because he was already blessed. He was already grateful. He, he already received, look here, the bread and the wine. We've already received a, a new creation in Christ Jesus. We've been saved. The reason we tithe is not because we're trying to twist God's arm to get more blessings. We tithe because we're grateful for what Jesus did. We're grateful for God sending His one and only Son. And as an act of, of gratitude, I'm willing to bring the tithe, the whole tithe, the 10% to God and say, God, I thank you. You're tithe is holy and I'm going to give it back to you. Look here. It says, then Abram gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. He gave him a tenth of everything. Why? Do you want to be blessed? No. Abram was already blessed. I think we need to change our mindset. We don't give to get. We give because we're grateful. We give because we love God. We give because we were sinners on our way to hell as fast as the unlocked wheels of time would carry us. And God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those that are under the law. And now we have been saved by a grace we don't deserve. God purchased us by His Son's blood. And now we're grateful. And Lord, every time, every time I get paid, Lord, I'm going to bring you what's to your name. How many of you know you don't give God 10%, you return to God 10%. What, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, Leviticus uh, 27 30 says this The tithe is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. Meaning this, you can't give what's not yours. It's like you borrowing my suburban. Say, Pastor, can I borrow your suburban? Yeah, take it. And then you come to my house and say, I want to give you your suburban. No, you're not giving it to me. You're returning it to me. When you tithe, when you give God the first 10% of all your increase, you're returning what is already God's. It is holy, just like the tree in the Garden of Eden. I don't want to touch it. It is holy, and it's coming back to God. And God takes that 10%, and He sanctifies my 90. That holy 10% sanctifies and, and creates holiness in the 90, so that 90 is stretched, and I can do more with that 90% than that 100% that's not managed well. It's holy unto the Lord. He said the tithe is holy. It's been set apart. Notice I said this was a principle. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus comes back in the New Testament and he says that the tithe needs to be given. He's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then over in Hebrews, this is what, this is what really just lit my fire when I was studying this even years ago that when I tithe I'm not giving to a church I'm not giving to a pastor I'm giving to Jesus Hebrews 7 8 says in the old covenant they gave their tithe to people who would die the priest but in the new covenant when we bring our tithe, whether you cash out it, whether you go online and pay it, whether you put it in the boxes in the back, or you mail it through snail mail, you are giving it to Jesus who is eternal and will never die. Every time you give your tithe, you, give, you return it back to God. You are giving it to Jesus. You're placing it in His hand. I'm telling you what, I'm glad I can place my finances in His hand. 
There was a day in my life, I didn't do it willingly, I did it unwillingly. When I was about seven, eight years old, and I used to cut my neighbor's grass, Miss Webb, and she was an 80-year-old lady. She would ask me to cut her grass. I would cut it for $3. I would come into my mom's house, and she would say, give me 30 cents. I would say, why? She said, I'm going to keep it for you because that's your tithe. It's God's anyway. Just give it to me. I don't trust you to pay your tithe right here. You're not old enough. And she would wait till Sunday morning, and she would take that 30 cents out right before we get out of the car, and she would put it back in my hand. She said, now give it to the Lord. What was she doing? She was teaching me a principle that would carry me through life. See, in our modern church culture, we're teaching our kids everything. Soccer, basketball, we teach them baseball, we teach them football, we teach them, you know, how to use the internet, we teach them how to use their iPhone, we teach them everything, and we, and we cheer, but we don't teach them the basic principles of God's word that becomes the foundation that they can live on. I've been tithing since I was, I didn't want to tithe. And guess, as I grew in that and as I increased in finances, guess what? It wasn't hard because it was just a matter of honoring God. It was just a matter of giving God back what was His. It was His. So it's a principle. It's a principle that we all should live by. It's a blessing. Say blessing. Tithing is a blessing. Generosity is a blessing. See, oftentimes we think about 10%. The tithe means 10, 10%. But I believe in the new covenant, that's just the floor. That's not the ceiling. Mm. What if God blessed you so much that you could give 90 because he trusts you to do that. It's possible. There are people in the world that do that. God's blessed them so much. They say, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it away. It's a principle and it is a blessing. That God uses it as a blessing in our lives. Robert Morris defines blessing and curse in Malachi this way. He says to be blessed is to have God's supernatural power working for you. To be cursed is to have God's supernatural power working against you. He said, Pastor, I don't believe in the new covenant that God will work against me. Well, ask James the half brother of Jesus. He said this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many of you know every time I choose not to return the tithe to God. I'm acting in pride. Could it be that we keep saying it's the devil and it's not the devil, but God has just stuck out his arm and said, that's it. You can't go no further. And he's opposing you. He's opposing your business dealings. He's opposing you prospering. He's just saying, no, I'm going to hold out. I'm going to hold out. You, you can't learn this. I'm going to oppose you. And when you repent and you obey, God gives grace. He gives me more grace. So in this new covenant, God gives me the grace to give. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now I want to ask you this question. Do you get more excited about receiving than giving? I wish we had cameras <laughs> on your birthday. Christmas. Somebody gives you a great gift. And just see how you celebrate. Then put that same camera on here in church. When it's time and offering time. <laughs> you know one of the deadest part of any church service is when people receive time and offering time. You know, that doesn't even glorify God. Because he said, Jesus said, it's more blessed. When I give, there's a blessing that comes out of my life. I just want to tell every one of you, you're not taking it with you. You are not taking your cars. You're not taking your homes. You're not taking your jewelry. I don't care if they build a casket big as this building, put it all in it and bury it. You're not taking it with you. 
Job said, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave. The only thing that I can carry with me into eternity are the souls that have been impacted by my life. Either through my giving or my ability to witness and share the gospel. Tangent, I was with a couple this week and they own a house north of $2 million near the beach. Not in this state, so don't try to figure out where it is. <laughs> and they were trying to figure out their will and trying to figure out where they're going to leave their stuff and why they're going to leave their kids and they didn't want to do this and they didn't want to do that. I said, hold up. Let's think eternally. Are you leaving what God has blessed you with to people or organizations that are going to expand the kingdom of God and not shrink it? Even if you have children, if your children are not capable of managing the inheritance that you're going to leave them, why would you leave it? If you do, I believe in eternity, you're going to have to stand before God as a steward over the inheritance that God gave you. He's going to say, what'd you do with it? Well, I left it to so-and-so. You left it to that person who could not manage a thousand dollars? Why'd you do that? Well, they were my blood relative. But don't you remember the words that Jesus said? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? But those who do the will of God. We have to think differently. We think so natural that we have no supernatural or eternal impact. We have to think the way God thinks. So it becomes a, a blessing to me. How I many you know the blessings of my life shouldn't stop with me? They should perpetuate. They should keep going. After I die, people should still be blessed by how I live my life. Think about that. My dad and mom gave the first $520 to this church. My dad died a month after he gave the $520. But guess what? That $520 seed that he gave before he died, 25 years later, is still producing a harvest of faith. People are still being baptized. People are still coming to Christ. The kingdom is expanding. Why? Because when you put it into eternal soil, it never dies. A seed never dies. Seed never dies. It's a blessing. Number three, it's a test. Say test. Yes. A test. How many like open book tests? I loved open book tests. I loved them. You know, Malachi tells us the only time we can put God to the test is in the area of finances. When you think about tithe, it's, it means tenth or tenth part. Not just tenth, but the first tenth. I mean, you know, it doesn't require faith to give God leftovers. Oftentimes when we say, well, we'll give after we pay all this and we do all this. I mean, you know, there's nothing left over to give to God. And it doesn't require faith to give God the last in the barrel. It requires faith to give first. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's why God wants us to give the first fruit. It, it requires faith. If you don't do it by faith, it's not pleasing to God. If it's not done in faith, anything that's not done in faith is sin anyway. Scripture tells us. And, and, and so, as he begins to test us with this, this tenth part, we have to understand that the tenth in the Bible, in biblical numerology, the number ten means testing. Testing. How many plagues did God send into Egypt to test Pharaoh's heart? Ten. How many days did the children of Israel stay in the wilderness? How many days were they tested? How many days were they tested in the wilderness? Ten. Ten. In Numbers ten. How many commandments are there? Ten. This is this open book test. Ten. How many times was Jacob's wages changed in the Bible? 
How many days of testing did Daniel have in the book of Daniel? I'm giving you a clue. Ten. In Matthew 25, how many virgins were tested on their preparedness? Say that with me. Ten. How many days of testing are in the book of Revelation? How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. Some of you got it wrong. You failed an open book test. Ten. In other words, the tithe is a test. God said, test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out upon you a blessing that you could not contain. If he gives me a blessing that I can't contain, he doesn't want me to go get a storage unit. He wants me to bless other people. We have to change our mindset. Because if you die and you leave it in the storage unit, somebody's going to buy it at a cheaper rate. They're going to bid on your junk. Amen? Some of y'all watch the TV show. You give it away. You learn to live, you know... With this generous heart. Generosity is the attitude. Giving is the act. So God says test me in this. I remember Tangent and I when we got married. Even before we got married. But when we got married. We were uh, in an auditorium. And this guy was asking for pledges. $500 pledges. He wanted 100 people to give $500 toward a college who was in need. College was in need. And, uh, and I stood up and said, I'll pledge it. So I gave $100 that night, and that was probably 1995. And over the next four months, I gave $100. $500. That's above my tithe. That was an offer. And I felt God speak to me. I didn't want to do it because that's the college I went to. I was still paying my student loans off. <laughs> but God said, do it. Not too long after that, Tangie and I were in Phoenix, Arizona at a pastor's conference at Tommy Barnett's church. And he was raising money for the Dream Center over in L.A. Dream Center still exists for many across the nation and around the world. And it was the starting point of that about 1996-97. And he said, I need a certain amount of people to pledge $1,000 over the next year. Tangie and I still, we pledged $1,000. We paid it off real quick. But I didn't want to do that my flesh, but I knew God was telling us to do that. Why? Because money's a test. Before I was married, I was, I was working third shift and preaching revivals. I remember this one revival that I was preaching the first night while I was preaching, while I was preaching, come on, I was having this conversation with God when I was preaching to people. God said, I want you to take this honorary and at the end of the third night, I want you to give it to the pastor. And, and while I was preaching, in my mind I was saying, get behind me, Satan. I rebuke you. You know, I'm getting married. I need that money for getting you know, help out with my mind. I want to go on a honeymoon. I want to do this. And, and that second night, I finally gave in. I said, Lord, I'm going to do it. And so I preached at night. I would go to work all night. I'd sleep a few hours of the day, get up, study, go preach. On that third night, the pastor gave me an honorarium check in an envelope. And I handed it right back to him and said, Pastor, the Lord told me to give this to you and not to even take it. I want to bless your life. I want to give it back to you personally. But here's the deal. You know what? I was tempted to open the envelope <laughs> to see how much it was. But if I would have saw how much it was, it would have been harder to give. I was preaching a youth conference. God did the same thing. He said, I want you to take the honorary and give it to the youth pastor. I said, all right, Lord. I drove two hours on my own dime to get here. I'm broke, but I'm going to get it. And I gave it. What was God doing? He was testing me. He was testing me. Why? Because God could see into the future and say, hey, you're going to manage not just $1,000, but you're going to manage millions of dollars. Said, I can't trust you with a little $1,000. I ain't giving you millions. Amen? And then, after we were married, we were sitting in a conference in Augusta, Georgia, and this pastor was preaching, and there was thousands of people, and I heard the voice of God say, empty your bank accounts. 
me I'll shake your head. I did too. I was scared to even tell my wife. I was 27 at the time. And I leaned over and I said, I just heard God say, empty your bank accounts and give it all away. She said, well, obey God. Not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear a little pullback, you know, that mm, we gotta go to Burger King. And so we gave it all. Soon after that, God called us to Virginia Beach. What was that? just a test. Because Jesus said, if you can't handle unrighteous mammon, unrighteous mammon in the Bible is money. Mammon is money, but it's more than money. It's the greed that's attached to money. He said, if you can't handle unrighteous mammon, money, how can you handle the true riches of the kingdom of God? I'm here to tell you today, the finances you have presently is a test for the finances and blessings that God wants to give you in the future. And if you can't manage it well, you stay right where you're at. You stay right where you're at. I believe all of us need to pass what? The test. The test. I want to read one more couple of verses and then we're going to close this. This is Paul talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. My wife referred to 1 Timothy during the transition. He said this in 6, verse 17 through 19. He said, Command those that are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. How many know, if you've got a great house, it's God wants you to enjoy it. Don't feel bad about it. Enjoy it, but be generous. He says, command them to do good. Who? The rich. To be rich in good deeds, not just rich, wealthy, but to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is true life. Notice that little phrase there. He said, command all these rich people to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, so they can take hold of life that is true life. Could it be the life of God that he wants to bring to us is often shielded by our unwillingness to be generous and honor God in the area of Jack Hayford, who passed away several months ago, who pastored one of the largest churches in the nation in the 80s, wrote many songs. You, ever, you remember that worship song, Majesty? Worship His Majesty? He wrote that song. He wrote hundreds of worship songs. He said this in one of his books on stewardship. He said, when hilarious giving shows up in a church, revival soon follows. Why? Because when people become givers and generous, they open themselves up to God in a unique way. Our ushers are coming. They're going to hand out some cars that we had made. We do this every year. We're not going to preach on tithing next week. Probably won't preach on it for another year. But we have some challenge cards we're going to pass out. You guys can do that quickly. Move just a little bit faster. This service, we've got more people in here. But it's the 1090 challenge. What is the 1090 challenge? I'm going to challenge you to tithe over the next 90 days. And if you don't see God bless you in a visible way, if you don't see something happen in a visible way, here's my guarantee to you. You can come to our finance office, Pastor Scott's over there, and we'll reimburse you all the tithe that you've given Bridge Church. You may not have heard a pastor say that before. <laughs> why, why do I believe that? Why am I willing to do that? I'm willing to do that because I know God. I know God. If I do that with the right heart, just check that box on the back side. Put your name if you don't want to write your name. Because we're going to pray over these Tuesday in our staff meeting. If you don't want anybody to know your name, just put an X. 
We'll just pray that God will bless headaches. Here's the three steps. Register to take the 90-day tie challenge by placing the card in the Make a Difference boxes, or there will be ushers at the back of the bucket you can throw it in. Number two, return 10% of your income for 90 days to God. Record what God has done in your life for the next 90 days and share your story. If you don't visibly see blessings, you can come and we will reimburse you all the time that you've given. We just believe that it is that important. We believe it's a principle. I've seen how it's impacted my kids. I saw how it impacted my mom's kids. My mom didn't have much. She, she had eight kids, went back to school, got a, a degree in nursing while she had eight kids because her husband was disabled, came down with crippling arthritis, was not able to work, was in a wheelchair. A year after, he got the diagnosis. So basically, my dad was in a wheelchair most of my life. Just about my entire life. She went back and got a nursing degree, but she learned the principle of tithing. And because of that, God supernaturally blessed her. The end of her life, she owns five properties, five homes, all debt-free. And she'll tell you, she'll tell me, you know why, son? Because I honor God with the tenth, and I managed what he gave me well. See, we're not talking about some hocus-pocus or magic. When you tithe, you still have to manage. But you have to manage life anyway. Maybe God's calling us to greater management. The ability to manage well. Now look at 310. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to listen. He said, I said, I don't believe that. Well, I'm sorry. Try it anyway. Let God give you faith. Pastor, you don't know. You don't know my finances. Try it anyway. I've heard thousands of stories of people obeying God and just stepping out and God supernaturally increasing them. Why? Because there's a blessing on it. There's a blessing on it. There's a supernatural blessing on it. I want you to stay. You can invite your friends next week. We won't be preaching on God. You know, when I do a series on generosity and tithing, it's usually the lowest attendance series. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But I'm still going to preach the Word of God. Another first-time guest. And if you're a first-time guest, it's not your home church. Don't feel any pressure. It's not for you. This is for people that say, hey, this is my home church. This is where I eat. This is where God's feeding me. You need to take the challenge. You're sitting in a seat that somebody paid for 12 years ago. So you can sit. You know, tithing is almost like paying it forward. When you do that, God begins to bless supernaturally. Don't bow our heads. I want to pray over this. I want to pray over you. Maybe you're in here today and you've never given your life fully to the Lord. You say, Pastor, I need to do that today. You're in here and say, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need to first give myself to the Lord, just like the church of Macedonia. They gave themselves first to God. I want to give my life to God. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. You're in here and that's you. I just want you to raise your hand. That's me today. I believe God is speaking to me today. I believe God is speaking to me. Jesus was God's tithe sent to the earth, his first fruits. Jesus is called the first fruits. He was sent to earth 